Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. He started a business in East Lyme 40 years ago that led to him running for public office. We sit down with State Senator Paul Formica of the 20th District to talk about his 31 years of public service and his decision to retire from it all. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. His restaurant Flanders Fish Market has been a fixture in East Lyme for 40 years, and starting that business later catapulted him into a career of public service. And earlier this year, State Senator Paul Formica of the 20th District announced he would not be seeking re-election. He has been a powerhouse of the Republican Party here in Connecticut throughout, but says it's time for him to move on. I sat down with the senator recently to talk about his career of public service and what's next. Now the legislative session of 2022 is over. Senator Formica, thank you ever so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. We appreciate it. Now, of course, big news was announced by you that you were not going to be seeking re-election. The legislative session has just recently finished. So I guess the question to ask you is, how was your last legislative session? Well, it was pretty good. You know, it was a mixture of emotions for me, uh, you know, a bit melancholy and a bit of a look forward time for me. And I've done and have been elected official for this is... 31st year term with the Senate will end in January of 23. So I serve through that. Happy to continue serving all of the great people of the 20th district to the extent that I can through that time, but I just won't be participating in the election. So there was a bit of a relief there, having participated in elections every couple of years for you know the last 30. You know, it's a lot of time, but it's been a wonderful opportunity, and uh, I'm really grateful for the honor that I've had to be able to serve 23 years here locally in the town of East Lyme on local boards and commissions, and eight. this will be my eighth year in the Senate. So like you said, 31 years of public service, which is incredible. How did it all get started for you? I mean, it's a long time ago. You know, at my age, I hope I can remember. No, I, uh, you know, we opened the business here in in 1983. And, you know, we kind of got involved in the community to the extent you do when you're in business. And one of the things uh, that I noticed, I was president of the local chamber uh, of commerce at the time. And now it's been merged, obviously, with the Eastern Chamber, so it's a division. But in those days, we had our own chamber. And one of the initiatives coming out of the Planning and Zoning Commission in 1991 was increasing the side yard setbacks for for use on commercial property. And simply what that means is they try to keep area vacant. It was 10 feet you couldn't use, so to protect your neighbor from encroachment of noise and headlights. And they were planning on moving that to 25 feet from each side of the of the boundary line and I had 113 feet across the front which meant that almost half I wouldn't be able to use and I said went down to the town hall and I said what 
what are you doing with this? And they said, oh, don't worry about it. It'll never pass. A week later, it passed 6 nothing, And I went back down and said to the planner, what? I thought you said it wasn't going to pass. And he said, well, you knew it was out there. Could have done something about it. So good friend of mine, Andy Pappas, happened to be a Democrat. I'm a Republican. But uh, he owned a restaurant in Iannic, and I had this here, and we're both going to suffer the same inconveniences from this law that we didn't think was fair. So we both ran for zoning in 1991 in May and were elected in November and together we rewrote the the statute that kind of incorporated more practical common sense solutions like you know any overhead lights that illuminated you know the business's lot would not shed into the neighbors but be specifically directed onto the business lot or maybe use a fence if you were in a position where the headlights were going to shine directly into someone's so I got involved in that and um, you know one thing led to another I served eight years on zoning and went on to serve on the board of finance for eight years and and then the I was lucky enough to be elected for a selectman. So. Now, first selectman, a lot of people probably don't realise. They hear those two words or three words, and uh, it's a big job. I mean, it's, it's the equivalent of like a mayor in a city or, or, or a chief executive officer. I mean, it's a very, you know, it's a top dog job. Well, the, the first selectman in the town of East Lyme in those days, it's changed a little bit now, but in those days, I was the administrative chief of police because we had a resident trooper program. So the resident trooper was the liaison for the state police, but also kind of the department head for the town's police force. So I was thrust into that position and became chairman of the Water and Sewer Commission because East Lyme has its own municipal water service and sewer service. And uh, basically, the full-time job was I was a town manager, managing uh, not only people in the roads, but the 88 buildings at the time that we had that, you know, had to be managed and coordinating efforts with the local government and the school government, the Board of Education. So it, it was a huge job and certainly more than a full-time job, but it was the best job I've ever had. And then, of course, later on came the Senate as well. Talk to us about how that came about, because this is your third term that you're serving. As it's my fourth, actually. I apologize, your fourth okay. term, <laughs> Senator. Um, so, yeah, tell us how that came about. Well, I was, uh, as first selectman and as being involved in uh, local Republican politics, I was the town chairman of the Republican Town Committee for for six years. And, you know, often those two roles will take you to Hartford to discuss bills, go to a public hearing, maybe testify for or against an initiative that they have, maybe for yourself representing your town or maybe as a larger group of communities getting involved in the CCM, which is a Connecticut Conference of Municipalities. I was an officer on that board for for some time and so I was familiar with state government and you know I like to think in practical terms as most business owners do it's it's not about people in politics it's it's about solutions and and it doesn't matter what party you're from you just want what's best for the people you serve and so I thought I could get involved in the state and you know bring some of my expertise and skills from a small business and from a first selectman and from having, uh, you know, a family up to up to Hartford. And when Senator Stillman decided that she was going to retire, I, I said, why not throw my hat in the ring? Now, I want to ask you this question. 
you are a Republican. Have you always been a Republican? And if so, what attracted you to the Republican Party? What was it that drew you to that particular party? You know, I don't, I don't know. I think the first vote that I ever cast, the first vote that I ever cast was probably for George McGovern when he ran for president. Uh, you know, uh, I don't, I'm trying to remember when that was in the 70s, right? But I got involved after I opened the business as really a registered party, a registered Republican for the party, because I, I thought it represented business interests. I thought it represented people and, and workers and doing what's best for, for Main Street of any town that you live in. And, uh, I, you know, I quickly learned that it's not really about party, especially in local elections. And I tried to bring this to the state is... When you do get elected, you have to run on a line, right? There's a, a spot on the ballot that's Republican, Democrat, or any other of the parties. And, and so you put yourself on there. And, and, uh, but when you serve, you, you serve from the middle and you govern from the middle and you put those party politics aside and you try to do what's best. So I've been a Republican since, you know, 80. So that's... 40 some odd years. How do you feel about today's politics as well? I mean, you've just made the point that, you know, from a local perspective, I think, you know, anybody listening to this can probably agree that our Democrats and our Republicans here in Connecticut, yeah, you have your differences, but we don't seem to have the extremes that we see elsewhere, uh, you know, in the United States. How has politics changed in your eyes over that time? Well, politics has changed a lot in in the way that people react and respect and respond to each other. And I think uh, more people today are talking at someone instead of to someone. People don't seem to listen uh, as much to get someone's idea fully comprehended within, you know, yourself so that when you want to express your idea, you have an idea, you know, what you're saying. But... You know, I think the last few years have been particularly volatile, and I think, uh, you know, President Trump, I think, did a number of wonderful things in terms of policy initiatives, but I think the the way uh, he handled people really set us back in this country, and I think it really hurt Connecticut Republicans. And, and I, I say that not to disparage uh, the man, but simply put, there are 500,000 Connecticut Republican voters, there's 950,000 give or take numbers of Democrat voters and a million unaffiliate voters. And so, you know, we must, any party must appeal to a broader audience. And I think to do that, we have to have a a message that's more moderate, because I think there are more moderate voters and thinkers here in the state of Connecticut than perhaps some other states around our our great country. And and I think what, what the president has done is taken that middle away from the Republican policies and made the last few elections, you know, I'm sure as you can relate to, all about him and not about the good things that we've done here in the party. And in 2015, when I was elected in 16, it was about the promise of of what a new generation of leaders would be like. And as we move forward from that, clearly the behavior from from uh, the president turned folks away from the Republican Party, and I think that's going to be the biggest challenge moving forward. Is you know how do we how do we convey to the people in the state of Connecticut that we have a better way, and and uh, I believe that we do, and it's just been overshadowed by a personality. If you want to, if I may, a better way ct.com is the website that Senate Republicans have put together to outline uh, various policy initiatives that that we have kind of put on the table and incorporated into legislation this past session. Some made it in, some didn't. But at least we're not saying to the majority Democrats, you're wrong, 
and leaving it at that. We're saying, you're wrong. We think this is a better way, and here's our opportunity, and opens up for good debate, which I believe is the hallmark of any good relationship, whether it's politics or sitting around with my three daughters at the dinner table. You know? We, of course, are still in a situation where the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, is with us, and we're very much hoping, obviously, everyone, that we're starting to see that disappear. How did that affect the politics of Connecticut? I mean, clearly, it, it, it had an effect. It had an effect nationally and across the world. But in your view, how did it affect the way that politics happened here in the state over the last three years? Well, it, it certainly changed the course of thinking in the world, I think, not just politics here in Connecticut and around the country. In the beginning, we had no idea what was going to happen. You, you heard all of this devastation coming over from Europe, but this uh, virus was creating. And, and so, you know, with anything, one of the first uh, tenets of government, whether it's local, state, or federal, is, is the protection of its people and the public safety. And, and so there were a lot of things that, as we looked back perhaps might have been overreach but there were a lot of things that were necessary until we understood what was going on and and I think governing from the capital which is a people business it's the people's house and the people weren't allowed to be there we weren't allowed to be there everything was by zoom everybody was trying to understand how that worked I mean look at the poor teachers had to try to figure out in person and zoom at the same time I mean uh, nearly an impossible task to try to do. and But, you know, as we move forward with, you know, the vaccine and some of the other safety features that people are doing, we kind of got a handle on what was going on. You know, we were able to kind of inch our way back to governing as we, we should, although I might say that the first and second floor of the Capitol, people are allowed. First floor is basically the museum part of the Capitol and the history and traditions. The second floor is where the House of Representatives are, and people can go on that floor, but they're still not allowed on the third floor where the Senate convenes. And so lobbyists and members of the public are still not allowed to be on there, and people are talking about that continuing for some time. So so now there becomes a difference of opinion as to how do we manage it. But I think in a lot of ways, in the seeds of, of large problems, often lay large opportunities. And I think coming out of that, you know, we're going to need to focus on those opportunities and, and try to make it a better world as a result of the devastation that we've just gone through. As you step away, as we say, after 31 years of public service, and you said, to, you know, you will continue until obviously it runs out for you in 2023. So you can't put to your slippers on yet. But are you hopeful that somebody will step in from the Republican Party to take up the big shoes that, that need to be filled with your departure because so far I believe only a Democrat has actually put forward to possibly go for the 20th district. Is that right? Yeah, my previous opponent the last two elections is uh, is uh, announced uh, her candidacy and I believe that someone will step forward in the coming days to uh, announce that they will they were going to run for the Republican seat. And that, you know, one of the things that I think it's, gets lost in service, especially at the state level, is we, we serve kind of as a moment in time. And, and it's the greatest country in the world when someone can come from a background like mine and find themselves sitting on the circle of the Senate, the state capitol building with their name on a seat. But I think it's important to remember that there are many, many, many people before me, and there will be many, many, many people after me. So that's kind of helped my decision to kind of step away now after eight years. I believe I'm 
the only Republican in this particular Senate seat ever elected more than three times uh, to this seat. It's been predominantly a Democrat seat for, I think, 40 of the last 44 years. But we were able to, with our conversations and working together, bring in quality state representatives from the Republican side, like Devin Carney and Holly Cheeseman and uh, Kathleen McCarty. Uh, even Andre Baumgartner got elected with me the first time as a Republican running in New London. Now he's switched parties. But it's about talking to people and, and, uh, and moving forward. So I'm sure someone will step in and, and uh, you know, Connecticut will be safe. I'm not sure how big the shoes are. I think they're the same size as every other senator in the 36 seats we have there. But I appreciate you saying that. And I think the seat will be in good hands with a Republican moving forward. Let's talk a little bit about Paul Formica, the businessman. You have owned uh, Flanders Fish Market, which is where we're conducting this interview today, this uh, gorgeous restaurant, which uh, so many people flock to and enjoy the great food. You've owned it for nearly 40 years. What happens now? Are you going to be more part of this? I mean, or are you going to take a little bit of time out? Give us a sense of, of what Senator Formica is going to be doing when he's not racing up and down to the capital. Well, you know, it's interesting. It's been the, Politics have been such a big part of my life. I did eight years on as I said, zoning and finance and first selectmen, and now eight years on in the Senate, I kind of have an eight-year term limit for myself. Uh, and But, you know, the whole idea of government, and if you go back to the founders, is, you know, you, you serve your retail shop or your farm, and you go serve the government, and then you come back. And, and life is about living, and, and I've had this wonderful opportunity. But you know, my business is here. I've had the business longer than my kids. This is our 39th year here. I love every part of this business. And we grew from 600 square feet to 10,000. And that was, you know, the result of some wonderful, wonderful people that work here that have worked for and with us a long time and have given me the opportunity to step away from the day-to-day to-dos here of the restaurant and go get involved in politics. So my daughters, I have two daughters that... Uh, are involved in the restaurant. One is a chef. One one runs the operations and is very good with computers. And they promised me a dishwashing job, so I've been promoted already. So that's kind of good. But I'll, you know, putz around a little bit and I'll enjoy the fruits of the hard work that they're doing and, you know, maybe begin the process of a transition if they want to do it. And I have another daughter. My middle daughter manages an Outback Steakhouse in Newark, Delaware. I'd like to go down and have dinner with her occasionally. And then my son is out in California. So, so we're going we're gonna to go out and visit him. But, you know, it's just to kind of come back and enjoy life a little bit because, uh, you know, I know that life is short. I lost my wife very, uh, she was very young. And, uh, you know, it kind of reminds you passage of time. And I think uh, my first grandson my first grandbaby was born four months ago, and, and you know, that kind of made me think a little bit about that passage of time, you know, and uh, I have a wonderful person in my life now, and, and uh, you know, it's time to enjoy all of these things. It's a big question. How proud are your children of you? Well, I don't know. I hope they're very proud of me. You know, I love them all very much. We went through some very difficult times together, losing their mom. And, you know, you try to do whatever you can to to look good in your children's eyes, you know. And I have made some mistakes, as everybody has. But, uh, you know, I tried to be a good dad and and tried to lead people here in in the fish market and wherever I've worked, you know, with compassion and collaboration and... and, uh, so hopefully, you know, this is my fish market family too, you know. They have 
people that have been with me 25, 26, 27 years that I'm so grateful for their great service. And how difficult do you think it will be to step away when finally next year comes and the term is over, uh, the elections, obviously we all have to wait to see what happens with the elections, but as we say, when January 2023 comes along and the term is done, you can put the slippers on and walk away. How do you think you're going to feel? Well, I'm probably going to feel the way I feel now, somewhat melancholy. I know I talked a little bit on the floor of the Senate. My last vote on the budget, you know, might have been that night, the last time I pushed the button on the desk to vote for or against something. And if you begin to realize that, you know, you're getting toward the end uh, of, a, of, a, of a phase in your life that has been so wonderful, with every ending comes a new beginning. And this is another phase, and I'm going to move into... Uh, the next phase and find out what is in front of me. What is God bringing me and what can I do and and maybe enjoy it a little bit, have some time. And, you know, there's the world is changing. Young people are getting involved more and more. And if anyone's out there listening to this, uh, there's not many better ways to be involved in your community than to serve in public service, whether it's on a local zoning commission or, or whether you go get up to the state level. It's just a way that we can kind of live together, and that is service and love and moving moving things forward. So I'm sure I'll be melancholy, but hopefully I'll be into my new whatever that is uh, phase going forward. The $64 million question I'm going to leave you with, how do you hope to be remembered for your public service? I would hope that um, people would remember that I was uh, approachable and accessible and that I was willing to work across both sides of the aisle in order to get a problem solved or a solution started and you know that I I just tried to do what was right and practical and and had made common sense and you know represent the people that that live on Main Street uh, here in Connecticut whether it was as first selectman or a member of the board of finance or a state senator and it's really all the same it's about service that's been something that I love to do and and uh, it's been a huge part of my life the restaurant business is all about service and hopefully they remember in a good way there are probably a couple people that won't but we'll do the best we can well senator Paul Formica of the 20th senatorial district it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you Thank you for your 31 years of public service and we wish you many, many more years as you step away and enjoy a little bit more of you time with your family as well. Thank you for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for taking the time to have me on there and more importantly, thank you to the people of East Lyme and the entire 20th District in the state of Connecticut for giving me this great opportunity that I thought I'd never have. When you're high, you feel different. You think different, you talk different, you draw different, you listen to music different, but you probably knew that. Problem is, you also drive different, and not in a good way. That's why driving high is illegal everywhere. So if you're high, just don't drive. Make a plan to get a sober ride. Because if you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Warmer weather is here, and it's time to give your plants some health care. From mulching to aeration to growth regulator, remedial and preventative treatments against fungus, as well as insects like the spotted lanternfly and gypsy moth. Don't be reactive, be proactive, and keep your trees and plants in tip-top condition to avoid long-term health problems. Find more details about plant health care services. Call 860-234-4041 or visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com. 
Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently, sponsored by... Every number tells a story. A true story. Connecticut by the Numbers explores breakthroughs and challenges, issues and answers. Behind the headlines, across the state, follow the numbers. Connecticut news that counts. CTNumbers.news Connecticut's Attorney General William Tong addressed business and local leaders in eastern Connecticut recently at a Chamber of Commerce business breakfast addressing the issue of cybersecurity. Tong began by discussing the war in Ukraine and that cyber attacks on that country have also led to increases here in the U.S. As our country and the countries of NATO become more engaged in protecting the people of Ukraine and trying to end this war, you can expect that there will be more activity online and more attacks on our cyber infrastructure. That's why these issues, that's why we're meeting with the FBI and Homeland in Texas, because this is affecting all of us here, not just across the country and across the globe, but here in Connecticut. Tong said over the last eight years in Connecticut alone, they have seen cyber attack cases increase from just over 100 attacks in 2012 to over 1,600 attacks in 2021. He said everyone is susceptible, but cyber terrorists were particularly targeting educational establishments, local government agencies and healthcare institutions. Michelle Lucan, who heads up the Attorney General's Office of Privacy and Data Security Section, also spoke at the event. Lucan said one of the best things a business or organisation can do is have the equivalent of an emergency plan in place if they suffer a cyber attack. Make sure you have data breach response plans, but they can't only be on paper. If they're only on paper, they won't be useful to you when you need it. So get those plans in place, but also test them run fire drills, simulate data breaches, you know, run those exercises so that you are ready when it happens to you. Under new laws in Connecticut, any person or company that owns, licenses or maintains computerized data that includes personal information is required to disclose a security breach to the Attorney General's office and within 60 days to anyone whose data may be affected. The City of New London is looking to profoundly transform how they deliver human services to their community. New London has received around $26 million from the federal government through the American Rescue Plan Act, or ARPA, which provides state and local governments with funding to help tackle issues brought about from the COVID-19 pandemic. Jeannie Milstein is Director of Human Services for the City of New London and says they have allocated $3.4 million of funding to help turn the current system on its head. Typically in the human service delivery model, we treat people as problems and we want to give them services and supports. And when they don't work, we blame the people and not the broken system. So this is an opportunity to fix the systems. It's an opportunity to build on the assets that we have in our community to focus on the voices of our community members and what's important to them. Michael Passero is the mayor of New London and says any new projects they select won't be one-offs but must show they can sustain themselves beyond the ARPA funding. To improve our city, to improve the lives of the people who live in our city for decades to come, not for the four years that we'll actually be spending the money. So the challenge for us is to invest this money in programs and projects that will continue to deliver and provide benefits for the city well into the foreseeable future.
Organisations applying for funding will have to provide a business model of how they will deliver their services and how they will sustain them once ARPA funding is exhausted. More than 1,000 young adults living in eastern Connecticut will be working this summer and getting vital job training thanks to the Eastern Connecticut Workforce Investment Board. Cindy Wells is a Youth Employment and Training Coordinator for EastCon, one of the program's partners. It's for young adults that are 14 to 24 to give them experience in their community, to understand career pathways, labor, market, in-demand industries, also and get a sense of what it's like to work out in their community. So they're paid minimum wage. You have some youth that have leadership roles. They're paid a little bit more than minimum wage. And EastCon administers all of the payroll. The youth get paid every other week. They hand in a timesheet every other week. So they're really learning those day-to-day operations of what it's like to work. And EastCon also handles the workers' compensation through this grant that's provided. Young adults can pick from a range of different employers from the 44 towns in the region, allowing them to intern in jobs such as manufacturing, healthcare and even agriculture. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at connecticut-east.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East This Week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East This Week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening.